book one chapters one through six of of the love of god by saint francis de sales translated by h l sidney lear this librivox recording is in the public domain book one introduction to the whole treatise chapter one how in order to the perfecting of human nature god has committed the government of all the soul's faculties to the will union between several and distinct parts produces order from order spring adaptation and proportion and these when carried to perfection result in beauty an army is perfect when all its several branches are so perfectly ordered that their distinct parts are combined into thorough cooperation so as to make one whole to produce beautiful music we require not only clear well accentuated separate voices but that these voices be so combined together as to produce correct consonance and harmony by means of the union of their distinct parts and by the individuality of separate voices amid that union which results in a perfect combination not unsuitably called harmonious discord now as is well said by the angelical doctor st thomas quoting st denis the great the beautiful and the good are not the same thing though they are closely allied the good pleases the appetite and the will the beautiful the mind and understanding or to put it another way the good is that the enjoyment of which satisfies us while of the beautiful the perception delights us thus we never attribute corporal beauty to any objects save those which are tangible to the sight or hearing we do not speak of beautiful scents or tastes but we do of beautiful voices or colors if then the beautiful is such because its perception delights us it must require beyond unity of its distinctive parts order and adaptation a certain brightness and splendor in order that it may be visible and recognizable a voice to be beautiful must be clear and distinct speech must be intelligible a color bright and pure shadow and darkness are not beautiful and do not impart beauty because amid them we cannot distinguish order or separation unity or adaptation and thus st denis has said that god as sovereign beauty is the author of all the beautiful adaptation all the brilliancy and all the grace we find suffering his own rays of light to fall on all things inasmuch as these three properties are essential to beauty and assuredly beauty were unreal profitless and dead unless kindled and inspired by brightness and splendor which gives it life but living things cannot attain to beauty without that good grace which to the adaptation of parts adds adaptation of movement and action which is the soul and life of beauty in animated objects 
so in the sovereign beauty of god we recognize union as well as unity of being in the brightness of the divine persons joined to an incomprehensible adaptation of all perfection in action and movement adjusted so to say in the one and singular perfection of that purely divine act which is god himself unchangeable invariable as we shall consider further on thus god willing all things to be good and beautiful has reduced their multiplicity and diverseness to perfect unity and has so to say ordered them on monarchical principles so that they should hang one upon another all ultimately depending upon him the sovereign monarch he combines all members into one body under a head individuals he combines into a family families into a town towns into a province provinces into a kingdom placing a single king over each kingdom and in like measure amid the innumerable variety of actions impulses feelings likings habits passions faculties and powers which are in man god has established a natural monarch the will which governs and presides over all the elements of the little world within as though he said to the will what pharaoh said to joseph thou shalt be over my house and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled see i have set thee over all the land nevertheless this domination of the will is very variously exercised chapter two of the different ways in which the will rules the powers of the soul the father of a family governs his wife children and servants by rules and orders which they are bound to obey although they have the power to dispute them serfs or slaves he governs by force and they have no power to resist but he governs his horses mules and oxen by art bridling loosing urging or restraining them now the will governs our external movements after the manner of slaves for unless there be some literal obstacles these are always obedient to the will we open or shut our mouth we move tongue hands feet eyes and all other members endowed with the power of movement according to our will without resistance but the senses and the faculties of nourishing growing or propagating are not so easily controlled therein we require the assistance of art if you call a slave he comes if you bid him halt he halts but you cannot look for the like obedience from your falcon would you recall him you must hold out his lure would you tame him you must put on his hood you bid a servant turn to the right or the left and he does so but if you would turn a horse in like manner you must use the bridle you cannot bid your eyes not to see your ears not to hear your hands not to feel your stomach not to digest 
your body not to grow for none of these are intelligent agents or capable of obedience no man can add one cubit to his stature rachel desired to conceive offspring but could not men sometimes eat without being nourished or making increase he who would rule his powers must do it by diligence when a physician treats a baby he gives it no orders but he bids its nurse do certain things for it or he prescribes a certain diet or medicine for herself so that by means of her milk the doctor's will is carried out in the sick child who is not even capable of recognizing it it is useless to lay down rules of abstinence and sobriety to the throat or stomach you must forbid the hands to supply the mouth with meat or drink beyond a certain limit you must give or hold supplies as reason dictates to the faculty which takes action you must turn aside the eyes or cover them with their natural hood and shut them if you would not have them see and by such contrivances you will bring them into subjection to the will even so our lord tells us that there are eunuchs who are such for the kingdom of heaven's sake that is to say by force of will not of necessity it were folly to bid a horse not grow or wax fat or become frisky if you desire all this you must limit his rack there is no use in giving him orders you must subdue him by force the will moreover has power over the understanding and memory since amid sundry matters which the understanding may receive or the memory may retain it rests with the will to decide to which these powers shall be applied of course it cannot wield or marshal them as peremptorily as it does hands feet or tongue because the sensitive faculties especially imagination do not obey the will promptly or infallibly and both memory and understanding depend on these faculties for their operation but nevertheless the will excites uses and directs them at its pleasure though not so continuously or invariably but that a changeable imagination is liable to distract them even as the apostle exclaims what i would that do i not but what i hate that i do and we too are often constrained to lament that we dwell rather upon the evil which we hate than the good that we love chapter three how the will contests the sensuous appetite we see then that the will rules the memory understanding and imagination not forcibly but in virtue of its authority so that it is not invariably obeyed any more than a father is always obeyed by his children and servants it is the same with the sensuous appetite which as saint augustine says is called concupiscence in sinners and is subject to the mind and will as a wife to her husband inasmuch just as it was said to the woman 
thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee so it was said to cain that his desire should be to his lusts and they should reign over him for the desire being to anything implies that it will rule or reign over a man saint bernard says o man it is in thy power if thou wilt to make a servant of thine enemy thine appetite is subject to thee and thou canst govern it the enemy may excite a sense of temptation in thee but it rests with thee to consent or refuse if thou sufferest appetite to lead thee into sin then thou wilt be subject to it and it will master thee for whoso committeth sin he is the servant of sin but before thou hast sinned and while thou hast not as yet consented to sin and hast only felt the temptation thine appetite is subject to thee and thou canst master it before the emperor is elected he is subject to the electors who reign over him having it in their power to raise him to imperial dignity or to reject him but once elected by them they are subject to him and he reigns over them before the will consents to the appetite it rules over it but having consented the will becomes a slave in short this sensuous appetite is verily a rebellious seditious restless subject and we must own ourselves unable so entirely to subdue it but that it will raise itself up again plot and attack us yet nevertheless the will is so much stronger than it that if it chooses it can check defeat and repulse the sensuous appetite which is repulsed directly we refuse consent to its suggestions we cannot hinder the conception of sin but we may strangle it before coming to the birth by means of action now this lust or sensuous appetite has twelve actions by means of which as so many mutinous leaders it seduces men these trouble the soul and excite the body accordingly saint augustine calls the first perturbations and the last passions they all bear reference to good and evil either to be obtained or avoided good simply looked at in itself excites the foremost and chief of all passions love if we possess it not it excites desire if we expect to be able to gratify this desire hope is kindled if we do not expect to attain it we feel despair when we actually possess it it excites joy on the other hand so soon as we perceive evil we hate it if absent we fly from it if we believe ourselves unable to avoid it we fear if we imagine that it can be avoided we become bold if we realize its presence we are sad and then wrath and anger rise up to repulse or at all events to avenge it should such vengeance fail we are grieved if it succeeds 
we feel that satisfaction and strength which are the charm of triumph for just as the attainment of good rejoices the heart so victory over evil confirms courage and meanwhile the will reigns over all this throng of sensuous passions rejecting their suggestions repulsing their attacks hindering their effect steadfastly refusing that consent without which they can do no harm and thereby defeating them sooner or later crushing beating down repressing and if not wholly exterminating them at least rendering them powerless of a truth it is in order to train us in virtue and spiritual strength that this multitude of passions is suffered to linger about our souls and the stoics who professed that wise men are exempt from them were greatly mistaken however while denying the fact they practically proved it as we may judge from an anecdote related by saint augustine aulus gellius he says when at sea with a famous stoic and being overtaken by a heavy storm the stoic was overwhelmed with fear grew pale and trembled so that all on board noticed it with amazement even while sharing his danger the storm over and danger past one after another began to laugh at the stoic for his terror among others an asiatic voluptary who taunted him with having been ashy white with fear while he himself remained unmoved to which the stoic replied by quoting the answer of aristippus the philosopher on a similar occasion verily he said you had no need to fear for the soul of such a worthless fellow but i rightly dreaded the loss of the soul of aristippus which story aulus gellius and eyewitness related and in which we find witness from their own mouths that two stoics were overwhelmed with fear and that by fear which takes expression in the countenance thereby proving itself to be a passion it is a great folly to affect an impossible wisdom and the church has condemned such folly in certain presumptuous anchorites who went in opposition to all holy scripture especially to the great apostle who says i see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind romans chapter seven verse twenty three saint augustine says that the citizens of the holy city of god who pass through this life's pilgrimage according to god's will fear desire suffer and rejoice although their passions are different to ours and saint jerome and the schoolmen who follow him dare not call them passions out of reverence but prefer the name of propassion implying that the active emotions which our lord experienced took the place of passions without being actually such inasmuch as he only endured so much thereof and as he willed ruling and guiding them at his pleasure which is not the case with us sinners who are subject to these passions without respect to our will and greatly to the damage of our soul's health chapter four 
love governs all the affections and passions and even the will although that in its turn governs love love being the first attraction we have to what is good it surely must precede desire for what do we desire save that which we love it precedes delectation for how can we take pleasure in the enjoyment of a thing we do not love it precedes hope for we only hope for that which we love it precedes hatred for we hate evil only out of love for what is good and evil is only evil inasmuch as it is contrary to what is good even so with all other passions and affections which all have their root in love so again these passions are good or bad virtuous or vicious according as the love whence they spring is good or bad for it so animates them that these seem all one with it st augustine reduces all passions and affections to four therein following boethius cicero virgil and most ancient writers these he defines as love seeking to possess itself of the beloved object which he calls lust attaining and possessing it which is joy flying from what is opposed to it which is fear and if overtaken thereby and suffering grief all these passions become evil if the object of love be evil good if it be good the inhabitants of the city of god fear hope suffer and rejoice and because their love is upright so are all their affections the doctrines of christianity subject the mind to god that he should guide and sustain it and subject all these passions to it so that being guided aright they may be used to promote truth and justice an upright will is holy love an evil will is love of evil in a word love so rules the will as to make it whatever itself is a woman when she marries takes her husband's rank becoming noble if he be noble a queen if he be king a duchess if he be duke just so the will assumes the character of that love to which it is wedded carnal if it be carnal spiritual if it be spiritual and all the affections which issue thence desire joy hope fear sadness take their shape likewise from that source the will is acted upon by the affections among which love is foremost and it shapes all that follow but all this does not hinder the will from ruling over love all the more that it must love voluntarily and among a choice of affections it may select what seems it good else there were no forbidden or enjoined love so the will is mistress over the affections as a maiden over her suitors among whom she can select whom she pleases but even as with marriage she renounces her freedom and becomes subject to her husband so when the will has chosen the object of its affection 
it becomes subject thereto and as the wife is subject to her husband so long as he lives but if he dies she resumes her liberty and may marry another so while the will holds to an affection it reigns and the will is subject but if that affection chance to perish it can pursue another but the will has a freedom which the wife has not for the will can cast aside its attachment whensoever it pleases by means of the understanding and a firm resolution for example when a man desires that the love of god should reign supreme in his heart he can cast out self-love or if not wholly cast it out at least he can so crush it that while yet lingering it has no power and on the other hand he may forsake the higher divine love and cleave to creatures therein committing that spiritual adultery of which the heavenly bridegroom so often accuses sinners chapter five the affections of the will these are no less emotions in that intellectual reasonable appetite which we call will than in the sensuous appetite but we call the first affections and the last passions many heathen philosophers have loved god and their country goodness and wisdom they have shunned vice coveted honor fled despairingly from calumny they have even craved for happiness after this life have struggled bravely in pursuit of virtue have feared blame avoided many crimes avenged injury done to others and overthrown tyrants in a disinterested spirit all such emotions were of the reason the senses being inapplicable to such matters so that these were affections pertaining to the intellectual not passions of the sensual appetite do we not often experience sensual passions which are altogether contrary to the affections of the mind or will which we feel simultaneously the young man of whom st jerome tells who bit off his own tongue and spit it into the face of the temptress who beset him was he not inspired with a strong affection of the will in opposition to the passion of lust which was forcibly urged upon him do we not many a time tremble amid the risks into which our will forces us do we not abhor the voluptuousness in which our senses delight and love those spiritual blessings from which sense draws back this is what constitutes the war we daily experience between the spirit and the flesh between the outward man who cleaves to that which is sensual and the inward man who delights in the law of god between the first adam who was led by his eve that is by lust and the last adam who is inspired by heavenly wisdom and holy truth the stoics while as saint augustine says they denied that a wise man can have passions yet confessed it seems that he had affections which they called eupathies or good passions they said that the wise man did not lust but desired 
he never exceeded though he was glad he was not fearful save in the way of foresight and precaution in short he was moved solely by reason and therefore they specially denied that the wise man could be sad sadness pertaining only to an actual evil whereas no evil can happen to the wise man who can only suffer harm through himself according to them most assuredly they were not wrong in saying that there are good affections in the reasoning part of man but they were wrong in saying that he had no passions in his sensuous part and that sadness could not touch his heart for not to mention that they themselves were often troubled how could wisdom deprive us of pity which is a virtuous sadness which inspires the heart with a desire to succor other men in their trouble accordingly the best of all heathen epictetus did not hold this error that a wise man was subject to no passions and indeed st augustine proves that all the stoics arguments on this point were mere verbiage now the affections of our higher nature are more or less noble and spiritual according as their objects are higher or lower some spring from our own experience some from human knowledge others from faith and some arise simply from the soul's acquiescence in the will of god the first we call natural affections for it is natural to desire health food clothing congenial society the second we call rational being based upon the perceptions of reason which excite the will to seek quietude of heart moral virtue true honor and the philosophic contemplation of eternal things the third manner of affections we call christian for they spring from the teaching of our lord causing us to love voluntary poverty chastity and the glories of paradise but the fourth kind of affections we call divine and supernatural because it is god himself who puts them into the heart and because they look and tend to god without intermediate aid or natural light as we shall see more fully in considering what goes on in the sanctuary of the soul these supernatural affections may be classed under three heads love for the beauty of the mysteries of the faith love for the blessings promised us in the next life and love for the sovereign goodness of the most holy and eternal god chapter six how the love of god predominates over all other love the will governs all other mental faculties but it is itself governed by that love which rules it and shapes it now the love of god is supreme above all other loves and that so entirely that unless it holds sovereign sway it must perish altogether ishmael did not inherit with his younger brother isaac esau was doomed to serve jacob joseph received obeisance not only from his brethren but from his father and his mother as represented by benjamin 
according to his youthful dreams surely there is some hidden meaning in the superiority thus accorded to the younger over the elder divine love is clearly the younger among human affections for as saint paul says that was not first which is spiritual but that which is natural one corinthians chapter fifteen verse forty six but this younger inherits all power and self-love like another esau is doomed to serve it while not only all the other emotions as brethren do it obeisance but likewise the understanding and will representing father and mother all are subject to this heavenly love which must be monarch and that supreme isaac jacob and joseph had all a supernatural birth inasmuch as sarah rebecca and rachel barren by nature conceived them through the grace of god and thus they acquired superiority over their brethren even so holy love is the child of miracle for the will of man cannot compass it unless it be shed into his heart by the spirit of god and thus being supernatural it must needs reign over all other affections including the understanding and will and though there be other supernatural emotions fear piety hope etc even as esau and benjamin were likewise supernatural sons of barren mothers yet holy love is the heir as being the child of promise for through it heaven is promised to man salvation is set forth to faith it is prepared for hope but it is only given to love faith points out the way to the promised land like a pillar of cloud or fire bright or dark hope feeds us with sweetness but love leads us in like the ark of the covenant crosses the jordan with us and will abide for ever with us in that heavenly land promised to the true israelite where we shall no longer need the guidance of faith or the support of hope holy love dwells in the highest region of the mind where it offers its sacrifice like to abraham on the mountain and our lord on calvary so that being exalted on high it may be heard and obeyed by all its subjects that is by all our faculties and affections which it rules most sweetly for love has no bond-slaves but subjects all by so acceptable a power that although there be not so strong as love neither is there aught so sweet the soul is governed by its virtues and of these love as chief rules and adapts all others not merely in right of being first but because god having created man in his own image and likeness wills that he should be all love even as he is end of book one chapter six